Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum. And in this HR Chat episode, I'm going to talk with Dr. Bill Howitt, Chief of Research Workforce Productivity at the Conference Board of Canada, about the stresses put on essential service workers. He has over 25 years experience in strategic HR, mental health and addictions, and leadership. He is the creator of the online Certificate in Management Essentials program, a Senate-approved leaders program that offers 18 courses through the University of New Brunswick. He is also the creator of Pathway to Coping, an online course at the same university that is grounded in the cognitive behavioral therapy approach. Bill was a panelist at the recent first Innovate Work Online Summit, which looked at mental stresses caused by COVID-19. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. So as I just mentioned briefly there, you were recently part of the first Innovate Work Online Summit. Talk to me about the the panel, uh, which discussed COVID-19's impacts on the mental well-being of employees. Yeah, there was a variety of different points of view, which were, I was grateful and I appreciated listening. I think the the area that resonated for me was when the conversation, when we talked around the impact on mental health and how employees today are going to be at different levels of need. I particularly will recall, you know, having some dialogue around the conversation around social connections as being a core pillar of mental health. I ask people often, Bill, when I'm speaking to them, if they could explain to me what the algorithm of mental health is. And, you know, very much in that conversation is, you know, people will often pause. They they know what the algorithm is for physical health, exercise, diet, rest, relaxation, lifestyle choices. Whether they do it or not, most human beings know it. When you start to ask people the algorithm for mental health, you'll get some puzzling looks. Either people will say, I don't have an idea what you're talking about, or they will say, I need to make something up, or they'll know. And what really simply, which ties to COVID-19, the algorithm for mental health is physical health, mental fitness, and social connections. And what people don't understand about loneliness and isolation it's the absence of having meaningful relationships that meet your need. So there's a social connections gap. And what's happened during this COVID-19, many folks are so busy living life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and autopilot, and they get into their little routines where they're not aware all the micro interactions they have, whether it's at Tim Hortons or uh, saying hello to someone when they walk in or talking to a peer, they're getting I will call them level one social interactions. They may not be authentic connections, but they're filling a void. We need human behaviors, basically needs us to function. And when I talk about human behavior, in regards to facilitating actions that are pro-social for our mental health, and that human behavior we need is interactions with human beings because we're hardwired. So that whole concept around mental health and social connections would be really important to talk about it. It's because this uh, COVID-19 experience, and sadly, we're going to go through many different conversations around the different types of grief where people will be dying, 
people will be losing routines and people are going to have regret because they're not going to have the experience with people. And that, that element to me resonated. I, I was encouraged by people's interest on how do we start to add social connections to a part of the mental health conversation because I've been in this for a long time. I've been practicing for 30 years seeing patients. One of my PhDs was in counseling psychology, and I spent a long time talking to people on different needs. And I'm in disbelief for myself that I spent a lot of time in relationship management and helping people go through conflict. But I never really realized the absence of social connection, how really pervasive that is for us and how important it is and how I think many of us have taken it for granted. And then when I do the research, and I realized that it's really has been a social ep- epidemic before COVID-19 that 25 to 30 percent. And then today in COVID-19, we know around 55 percent of people experience loneliness. So and long and short of it, I, I, I was quite passionate about that conversation we had. And, and I, I'm just hoping we don't stop having it. I just want to pull you up on that a little bit more in terms of what HR pros and leaders can be doing right now, what should they be looking for uh, when they're having regular touch points with, with employees and in, in terms of trying to identify the, the, those employees who are particularly struggling with, with isolation at, at the moment? And, and also, let, let, let's take that forward a little bit, Bill. What, what are some of the things that HR pros and, and leaders can, can do in, in, in terms of perhaps maybe giving their employees a little bit more leeway than they, they otherwise would when when finally at some point, hopefully in the near future, folks start going back to work. We need to start really evaluating what the impact is, what's happening. Like for example, the week before uh, our uh, meeting, uh, when we had our chat with your you, you with the team, uh, is, um, is that I launched a rapid mental health pulse check to find out before COVID-19, right now in real time, what has changed in regards to your concerns around family, relationships, financial health, your work experience, and what are your, what are your coping skills? And what are you, how are you coping? Are you drinking more? Are you exercising more? Are you staying up later? Are you going to bed on time? Like all the things to how people cope. So the first thing I would actually suggest HR folks to realize is that not two people will be having the exact same experience. So that's one of the reasons we have opened up a tool I created, the Mental Fitness Index, where the employee can actually do their own mental fitness, write down their score, and get their baseline. So HR people need to get the baseline of how their employees are coping, what their level of resiliency is. Then HR leaders need to make this simple. Lots of them aren't experts in psychology or behavior health or mental health. What they need to really have a frame of reference and doesn't have to be any more complicated than this. Imagine every one of their employees are a battery. And imagine that things that the employer can do can either be draining the battery by, for example, not being clear about what you want, not being clear about expectations, not providing feedback. Everything you can do that can charge the battery, regular check-ins, asking employees what they need, checking, make sure their technology is working, making sure that they understand what success looks like, making sure they know it's okay to unplug, challenging them on their work schedule, ensure they're not overworking themselves. If they're a single parent at home, 
helping them set priorities and saying, listen, I know you're helping your young ones to do school. So what are the minimal things we need to get done? Creating meaningful, tactical work plans so people can ameliorate their level of worry because they don't want to let down their children. They don't want to get catch the virus and they don't want to let their employer down or other responsibilities. And then on the other side, helping employees know what they can do with purpose that can charge the battery or drain their battery. One of the big things I'm doing right now, every time someone asks me, Bill, what you can do, I'm giving them three simple things to do. One, have your employees do the mental fitness index. It's free. Two, have the employees do a, a perceived isolation and loneliness scale, which I created with the Global Mail. Let them do that so they get a frame of reference of difference what perceived barriers are and load so they have a frame of reference and some ideas. And then third, help them understand what mental fitness is in regards to what they can do. So helping them be aware that, that the employer knows that there's going to be another side to this. What that is, we don't know. With the uncertainty, People's frontal brocus region is really working overtime. So you think about how much strain many people have right now. Not knowing will there be employment, not knowing if if, if will this will this spread stop? Is it really 18 months? My God, I just had six weeks. You mean we really got to figure out how to get through another 17, six? Like many people are worried about the unknown. Now, there looks like, potentially in Canada, where we're at, we're probably about six, eight weeks away from some type of easing. Will there be football here in this Ottawa? Will there be hockey this year in Ottawa in the NHL? I don't know yet. Will there be school this fall? I don't know yet. So there, with all the uncertainty, this will be a very important time if you want to maintain your human capital. If there was ever a time to pay attention to mental health, it's going to be now. It's, there's no formula. The A plus B equals C. That's gone now, because we've not this. We've not gone through this drill before. So we can't just talk about things for the sake of talking about them. We need to actually do things with intention that we can measure an outcome. So that's what I'm trying to get employers to do. Bill is really focus on what they can do with intention that can help employees feel some accountability and support to build their resiliency. We'll be right back after this message from Espresso. When it comes to human resources, doing more with less while attracting and retaining rock star talent is how we're measured. And that's why Espresso built a web and mobile platform to help make heroes out of HR and people teams, while enabling companies to tie the benefits of culture to positive business outcomes. Espresso.com is culture benefits reimagined. Looking to engage and ignite your people in measurable ways? Visit Espresso.com. That's E-S-P-R-E-S-A dot com. You just said potentially, Bill, there's another 17 months of, of, of this hell that we're going through at the moment, right? You know, the, the leaders mm. are trying to stay positive. They're trying to motivate their employees. They're, they're trying to lead from the front. Um, but in the back of their minds, they're, they're, they're also probably thinking, what the heck am I going to do? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if my company is going to get through this. At the moment, the Canadian government is, in my opinion, being really awesome in terms of supporting uh, a, a lot of employees and a lot of businesses. But you know, how sustainable is that? How, how long would that last? And, any advice to those leaders out there in terms of, I don't know, having a stiff upper lip and, and carrying on? I think that's a part of it, too. It's interesting. Is I like what you actually said that, you know, 
stiff upper lip. The most important thing I also believe, and I'm, you know, I'm a little biased. I, I do, you know, I do a lot of leadership development. I do a lot of things with HR professionals. However, unless I'm taking care of myself as a leader and have self-compassion for myself and realize that I can only control what I control, but one thing I can do is take care of my own outlook and my life and get my myself going and then to role model and then to stay with inside your skis, meaning you're going to start hearing employees talking about things that are sad, about losing people, people dying or people they know and worried about those kind of things. And he said, that's not their job to fix. That's why you have employee assistance programs. That's why you have mental health professionals. And what they need to do is be caring, compassionate, and realize that their job is to work with their leadership of the organization they're in to, to see if they can maintain the business sustainability and viability so there's something on the other side of this. Many little businesses in Canada may not make it through this. And how long can the government continue to spend? In, in Canada, they're spending not billions, but they're in, going in towards the trillions now to look at how to prop up to keep this economy afloat so you don't have pitchforks and people in crisis worried about that to keep, you know, this is all about keeping. And we all know there's an old old saying, you know, we're two meals away from revolution. So leaders need to know that a part of this is this the economic disparity that's in our country. It's there. And so when you start to have any type of financial, when we have 70% of people are worried about finance and you have 56% to spend almost an hour a day worrying about money. We know that we're at a that we're in a melting pot, and leaders need to realize is to chunk it down to something that's sustainable that they can actually manage and deal with. And that's they're doing their jobs, staying inside their skis, working, being transparent with their employees, not trying to have all the answers, being vulnerable, being fallible, being humble, being helpful, and take care of themselves. Um, and we will have some bright moments and I feel it myself. I think there'll be some optimism in Canada over the next three to four or five weeks, just when people allow to perhaps maybe go to a barber with a mask on, you know, like there'll be like, there could be some small wins Will the social distancing and physical distancing and, and things change. I don't, I can't imagine anything really changing magnanimous until there's enough folks with the antibodies till there is a antiviral and there is a vaccine. This 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 one here, I'm not quite sure, but but I'm not an epidemiologist, Bill, so I don't know. But I'm that's what I'm just going by the by what I'm listening to our experts that this may not go away as quickly as people want, and if it does, we have to live very super cautiously for probably until those things are in place. There are there are people out there who've got got some pretty difficult jobs happening right now that's those people on the front lines and and, and mm. while while we talk a lot on the HR chat show about about remote working and the layoffs that are happening at the moment I'd, I'd like to now chat with you a bit about those who who are still out there working on those front front lines you recently wrote an article for the global mail in which you emphasize mm -hmm. that now i'm quoting you now it, it, it's important that we also remember the thousands of essential workers who aren't dealing with home isolation they have another challenge they deal with the mental challenge of working in a new way and feeling isolated because of the changes 
in work methods. Uh, in, in, in the article, you, you considered several areas. So the, the key ones were awareness, accountability, and action. Please, can you now just take a, a few minutes and, and, and talk to me about each of those? When we think about essential workers, lots of folks are going to go right to the first responders, and, and that's that, that's really real, the first responders, what happened, the health, what the healthcare workers are living in right now. You know, I'm sitting in my townhouse here in Ottawa, and I look out the window, it's a beautiful day, it's quiet, it's peaceful, I'm having the privilege of a conversation with you, and why am I here? It's because I'm, I'm social isolating myself so that I don't uh, contribute to a spread or get the spread so the healthcare workers have less challenge. Now they're they're busy people right now and there's all kinds of stuff going on with them. And you know, police have their difference their challenges and fire and paramedic and then people who work at Walmart. And what I'm starting to realize is that the folks who have to go out, we're almost in war theater right now. You think about it. We'd like to this is in war you worry about getting shot. If you, if you make a mistake and you stick your head up. Now we're in a place where if you touch the wrong thing, if you catch something, yeah, depending if people can talk about your age, but I was dealing with a 21 year old who just died from Crawford University from catching the virus. So yeah, it's killing younger people too. So it's just not for the vulnerable. We can't just put all our bets on it. So we don't know, depending on how you are, it's, it's, it's a risk factor for different folks. Sure, there's folks are more vulnerable. But when I think about the first responders and I think about the essential workers, what I wanted to do in this article was to start a conversation around bringing a little bit to awareness about these essential workers are strained and they can feel isolated and they may not feel they can advocate all the time if they don't feel they have their personal protective equipment. And what I wanted to do in the article was to create a little bit of a play on personal protective equipment by helping to encourage essential workers and the people who work with essential workers to help them get what I'm calling the personal protection voice, their PPV, to help them to start to be able to start to advocate, to ask questions so that they don't feel isolated and worried about what they're experiencing because some people will have more questions than others. Some people going five days to work, the amount of stress they put on themselves to get to work might be harder than other people. And so what I want employers to know is that, yes, these essential workers are having a great deal of courage. But if you think about a tour of duty in the war, and I must, and to me it is, it's like it's, they don't know who the enemy here is yet, what surface is or what they touch. And if they happen to touch their eyes or mouth, they can potentially, the pathogen can move and it can stay on surfaces for hours. And so what will happen is, is that if they can actually start advocating for themselves and understand how to advocate, that can give some information to create that, create that two-way feedback between themselves. And that's what I was hoping we could do. And to bring the potential that some folks, because of their position, used a phrase before, stiff upper lip, might actually believe because they are an essential worker, they're not allowed to actually say when they're tired or when they're worried, or I just need a day off, I need a mental break, I'm stressed. So they can get that. The next thing I wanted to encourage folks, okay, 
we can't hallucinate that everyone's going to feel comfortable to self-advocate. So leveraging peer support and getting everybody a buddy, get essential workers a buddy so they can check in with each other, help monitor each other. And if one, they're concerned about their buddy, they can actually advocate for them. And the last part of it is leveraging technology. There are so many pulse checks and apps and everything. At the end of every day, you can have your, your essential workers to answer one question or two questions just to make sure you're not hallucinating or guessing if they're okay. Because my, my sense is, is I'm not thinking this is a sprint. I think we need to, we need to actually preserve our essential workers and is this is going to be a marathon? And I would rather be way, way over prepared now than under prepared. We've done the under preparation. We've actually shown by not being ready for a pandemic of this size what can do. Because one of the challenges our government has, and it'll come out in the debriefing, is that the average Canadian, for whatever the reason, didn't have two, three months of savings in the bank that they could survive. Many people are living paycheck to paycheck. We got to change that. We got to help start having a part where there's a counterbalance where we can help people learn how to be able to be more self-proficient and and help the government. Because at the end of the day, who's going to pay for all this? And that's what I, and, and I, I don't mean to jump this into an economic part, but part of the challenges here is we're going through this massive challenge and then there's going to be the future economic challenges. So I believe the preservation, and I got a little off the article, I apologize, but I believe the preservation of these essential workers is going to be critical so that we can get through this and get to the other side to create some normal where our non-essential workers can get back out. But our essential workers will always be there, we'll always need them. However, it'd be wonderful where a person that's working at Walmart who's making a minimum wage doesn't feel they have to be putting their you know life at threat just to make minimum wage. I think HR can spend a lot of time learning about what their employees need for them around uh, preservation so that we can hopefully learn from it. That's, I guess, what I'm, I'll land on that part, Bill, is that I know we need to help keep people going. However, I think we've got to really listen to them, too, during this process to learn so how we can get them better ready for the future and how we can help support them better going forward. Just to wrap up for today, Bill, uh, how, how can yeah. our listeners learn more about the Conference Board of Canada and how can they connect with you? Yeah, they, they can connect with me through the Conference Board of Canada. Just Google Conference Board of Canada or you can drop me a, a, a note at, you know, at howard at conferenceboardofcanada.com. You also can learn about my company, Howard HR, at www.howardhr.com. We do a lot of work around supporting HR organizations around reducing mental harms, promoting mental health, and helping them develop strategies. And we're putting a new offering together to help coach and move people back to work around the COVID post-19 to help them insulate their workforce around mental health. And it would be remiss of me, listeners, not to just plug one more time that uh, Bill was uh, recently involved with the first Innovate Work Online Summit. And we've got lots of other events happening in lots of other places they're all online but they're based in various different locations around the world as uh as as we all try to get to grips with what's happening right now and um we, we need a little bit of support there so uh please do check those out innovatework.co we've got meetup groups we've 
we're all over Eventbrite. Uh, you'll find me and Rob Catalano on LinkedIn pretty much every day. So please do check those out. But that just leaves me to say for today, Bill, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Thank you so much for having me. Keep up your good work. And listeners, until next time, stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette. 